Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Compare and Campaign. I am your host, Tom Lando, and with me as always is my co-host and Cody M. Miguel. And it is the 26th of May, 2021. We've uh, both been vaccinated for a little while now. And, um, we made it this far. It's episode, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, episode 62 is how far we've made it. We've made it to, honestly, a, a point in my second campaign, Al's Aces, where things are going kind of wild. Um, this is a show, of course, where we, share tales of campaigns past to glean insights and talk about the craft of DMing. And uh, yeah, in the campaign of past that I am describing, uh, it is definitely a turning point in sort of my whole game world, it feels. Cool. I mean, we covered a lot of stuff last time. I was going to say, like... Yeah, this is we're we're clearly in uh, in sort of a a big moment in the Al's Aces timeline, literally, quite literally in the timeline as they go back in time. And. And even a big moment, I would say, in the larger like Drail timeline, I would say over the course, like including the previous campaign of Mpox Finest and this one and the next one, this is really kind of like. I'm not done the next one, but uh, this feels like a midway turning point out of the three that have been uh, created thus far. Meanwhile, you've still got your Fate of Istis, your third session, where things started to uh, go as planned, I suppose you could say. Yeah, the the planned third session that I had intended to run as the second session, but my, my players had other ideas, so... Uh, so yeah, now we're, now we're on to session three, my planned session two, um, similar to the Eberron campaign, I did sort of a a mix of like episodic adventures and, uh, more adventures based around the central plot, uh, of the, the, the overarching plot of the campaign, but everything I wanted to be on this theme of, like, fate and chance. And so that's that's what we're dealing with this time around. It's, it's like a little self-contained episode, but it still deals with the idea of fate. Still on the same theme. Well, chance and fate, and on my end of things, we are still... Uh, spilling into the far realms you know we get you go through one portal into the far realms and all of a sudden you're on a whole journey through realities and times and planes and uh so i mean you're outside of of all the planes basically you're too far out um arrived and so the, the players not not to not to spoil anything for an, an older property but we've arrived in the final moments of bioshock infinite and well, I don't know nothing about that, but I will tell you that 
the players last time we mentioned they were back in time. Scrooge ghosts, no less, uh, nearly got frozen by a time basilisk. Uh, you know, not even frozen proper like, but frozen out of the timeline. Meanwhile, they've got new anti-Empoc agents from the Nightside Eclipse after them by the name of the Autumn Leaves. Chessy had to enter the Speed Force, recruit some random goblin. Who knows what he's up to? Uh, but now, you know, they've been out of their time. They need to get back to their own time, man. They get need to get back to trail. Who knows what's going on all this time? And they're also still following, uh, if they can catch up to them, Carmen the Prairie Hag and the necromancer that she sprang from hell. Is Carmen still so, immortal? Um... That's the question, isn't it? I suppose it is. We'll find out. We'll we'll certainly find out. Uh, do you want me to jump into it? Yeah, it sounds like you've got a lot more to cover. Keep keep taking the lead with these ones. All right, this one, Operation Closed Curve, the other half of this sort of mini two-part uh, Far Realms adventure based on what I think was a two-track release on uh, Profound Lore Records. Uh, I think it was a split between Nadia and Atavist, which sort of parts of that will actually come in handy, but or or, or will you'll get the reference. But anyways, actually, Atavist is kind of. I think it was a split between Atavist and Nadia with the first track being Atavist and that is a bit of a thing because Atavism and time travel I was sort of a doing doing a thing where they were like going back in time um with Atavism being a sort of like reversion to a previous uh evolutionary state you could say uh is is that the right way of defining it that's the way I've always kind of understood it Atavism um yeah, I don't know. I'd have to get out my uh, get out my dictionary to to contend with that. Sounds right. Your dictionary of words that are used in metal albums a lot. <laughs> um, and uh, so then I think the next track was uh, Nadia's, and this one is Closed Curve. So Operation Closed Curve is based on the second track in that split. And uh, you'll see how I tie that in as well. So we got ourselves a case of plane drift. The characters through the Far Realms are drifting from one timeline, one place, one plane to another. And this is where I get to employ um, perhaps... Definitely the most expansive Adventures League module that I have used uh, for content thus far in the campaign. Um, and honestly, one of my, like, one that really stands out in my mind as in terms of, like, one of the, like, big uh, standout modules that I have encountered in the Adventures League uh, Dungeons & Dragons Expedition content. And that is an adventure from first season called Dark Pyramid of Sorcerer's Isle. 
Um, it's a module that I've I've used it as sort of a template for designing my own modules uh, that I've released with Goblin Ink Press. Like it has this system where depending on the difficulty you want to be running the module at, uh, it has a large number of encounters that can go on in this maze within this pyramid. Um, but it recommends which encounters to run and how many based on the like level and like, and composition of the party basically. Um, though, and so I have used that same sort of, uh, I, I have used that as a model for designing my own adventures that I put out on the DMs Guild. But also, like, while that has influenced my, like, design uh, approach, at the same time, whenever I see a module like this that is, like, a large collection of possible encounters, I'm just going to run every one. And, like, it's a testament to this one that it's, like really quality that I actually really, it, it's one of the ones that I think it's totally worth if you can running every encounter because uh, they're generally pretty awesome. If all they, the, a lot of them have, have something cool to them, but um, I'll actually uh, probably be getting into that module itself in the tavern. Um, so for my half of the, of the, for my part of the show, I'm just going to be talking about my version of Dark Pyramid of Sorcerer's Isle, Operation Closed Curve. I had never heard of this module so, before, but it already sounds great. Yeah, man, it's it's a good one. I mean, it, it is it is new. It's I think it's was put out in like 2014 or 15 or something like that. It was like the you know it was in the first season after the first fifth edition adventure was put it put out, but uh Horde of the Dragon Queen. But um yeah, it's 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 one that stands out to me as like really good. Uh or at least really impressive. Um I, I've got some issues with it. We'll get into that. Uh so when we left uh, Al's aces, they had just participated in a battle that was in a historic battle that they had gone back in time to participate in as Scrooge ghosts. As I explained last episode, go back there if you want to check it out or, or get refreshed. Um, and in its weird, winding, wandering way, um, they are pursuing this, uh, these Nightside Eclipse agents and the Far Realms just sort of like begins to fade into like another sort of locale. And so they find themselves, um, I had mentioned that they had previously through the Far Realms access to sort of historic version of Pandemonium, which is a series of tunnels with maddening winds rushing through them. And uh, so they're continuing to travel through these tunnels looking for their prey, their quarry. And uh, they discover running down one of these tunnels uh, is like uh, there's a river or like a stream running through one of the tunnels. And so they begin following that body of water since it seems to be like out of place. There's no they haven't seen any weird streams like that yet. 
more out of street, more out of place than that. I'm saying a stream, it's like that's out of place. It's a little more out of place than that because the stream, the river, it's not running in the bottom of the tunnel. It's running along the top of the tunnel. It's a dangled upside down river. That's why they're like, um, this is weird. Maybe we should be following that. Maybe the fire bomb is trying to tell us something. They're following out of this upside down river and uh, they're like, all right, let's follow this. And they, they see it. Uh, the tunnel opens out at the end and they're like, okay, we're going to follow the river to wherever this tunnel leads. Um, but as they're walking down the tunnel, something starts, something attacks them from within the river. Because the upside down river is full of giant octopi and piranhas. Oh my and the piranhas god! Are leaping out like ah, 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 ah. the the piranhas are jumping out and biting them, and they're like ah ah. And there's like piranhas jumping out of them from above and biting them, and then flying back up in the water. Of fauna. And, and then these tentacles are coming down and blah, 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 blah. um. And so, like, the, the octopi have enough reach that they can reach out of the water and grab them. And then when they pull them into the water, they get eaten by the piranhas. Um, also, technically, in, like, 5th edition, the stat block for piranhas is quippers. But, like, I, piranhas, no way, like, whatever, what is quippers? People know what piranhas are. I'll just say piranhas. I, sometimes I'll say fantasy piranhas or bone piranhas or whatever. Um, calling them you know, quippers feels our, like that, that little game. Calling them quippers feels like that kind of thing from like a TV show. If they don't want to use a brand name, they come up with a fake version of it, right? Like, hey, I'm gonna go play that new video game, uh, Death Masters Four. Guang. <laughs> Just an, uh, an off-brand piranha. Yeah, it's dumb. I don't know why you need to do it. I don't think piranhas are branded. Uh, so maybe there's something. Maybe it's like piranhas are misunderstood and they don't want to propagate misinformation about piranhas by continuing to depict them as these, as as what we know them as. But uh, whatever. Point is, um, there is one advantage here is that uh, Chessie has always been pretty quick with the, uh, you know, running up the walls and whatnot. And so she's able to run up the side of the tunnel and just start spiking these octopi with her rapier um, while the uh, party is under attack. Um, So they fight their way through this upside-down river tunnel. They get out to the mouth of the tunnel and find that it, it comes out to like this big uh bloody cliff. It's a cliff where there's all this blood smashed around it and uh there's on the cliff there are death dogs. Are you familiar with death dogs? Uh death dogs. I'm trying to think. The only thing that's coming to mind is like a howler, but that's not it. No, it's like um, it's like a two-headed dog, basically. Uh, a death dog is an ugly two-headed hound that roams plains and deserts. He burns in a death dog's heart, and a taste for humanoid flesh drives it to attack travelers and explorers. Death dog saliva carries a foul disease that causes a victim's flesh to slowly rot off the bone. It's like a lesser Cerberus. So- so they run into out on this cliff some death dogs and also some uh, big old boars 
that have like uh like jagged rhino horns and these boars and death dogs have just been like all the this bloody cliff is just like the killing grounds of these uh fierce animals that try to drive the players off the cliff uh and and you know back them up uh to the point where their backs are to the sheer cliff and then just murder them. Um, so the players stand their ground. They look down over the cliff and it leads down into a sinkhole, just like a straight down vertical tunnel into the, into the earth. And they're like, well, I guess this is where we're headed. So they start climbing down into the old sinkhole, but what's waiting for them within, but a night side eclipse, autumn leaf ambush. Man, and also, uh, there's going to be visual aid provided for this uh, episode because I got a whole another uh, side-on map of uh, this episode. So you can see, basically, you can see where at the beginning there's, or at the top, uh, it doesn't, you can't quite see it in the picture too well, but like the first three people are the party, Al's Aces, so you got Ara Kendor and you got... uh, Nestle and you got uh Chessie and then you got some upside down octopi and fish and stuff and then the tunnels uh curves down and then there's all the boars and death dogs and then uh, it goes down again and then there's all these like skull armor dudes and uh nightside eclipse scouts and stuff and then you gotta go into the tunnel and uh in the tunnel beyond the sinkhole ambush there's then uh, some more of the Nightside Eclipse recruits that were sprung from hell. So there's uh, a fierce uh, hell warrior, basically, accompanied by a few rebel imps. Um, and then, after that point, so they fight their way through this tunnel with these uh, this, this rebel hell uh, squad. And then they end up coming to... Uh, so first of all, they come to a crimson stream that is effectively, well, it's a mysterious crimson stream and they come to it and, uh, they find like sort of camped around this crimson stream is a group of high elves, high elves, uh, from, the Arctopus and their city of Crystal Guard on the Arctopus. So the players realize that they've started to make, they, they've started to cross over like back towards Drail because they're running into people from Drail, basically. They've been hunting the Nightside Eclipse. They come to this stream. They find these, these high elves and they talk to these high elves and they confirm like, yeah, we're from... We're from the Octopus. We're from Crystal Guard. But weren't they more like? And yeah, man, we're, we're that's where we're from. No, they're high elves. Uh, no, no, no. We but we've met high elves in this <laughs> world before. Remember the the Crystal Kingdom of the Chaos Elves, and uh, they're in a situation. They they run into the squad of high, uh, high elves who are camped out at this stream. And the high elves basically explain they they sort of catch the players up on what is going on in Drail since they have been in Hell and the Far Realms. Cause 
we haven't been to Draelin in an act, if you remember. Right. We haven't looked at the map of Drail or anything. When we left Drail, um, I did mention that Ara had had a vision from Poseidon of the Nightside Eclipse launching a naval invasion from the Deathlands uh, northward towards like the Isle of Labyrinth and past that to the Highlands in the north. Again, this is for the first time in a while is caused to go back to your uh, comparing campaign, your comparing campaign dot WordPress trail map from our first, uh, our our first post. Um, So the Nightside Eclipse, the, the, the high elves explain that the Nightside Eclipse, they launched that naval invasion. They were launching a fleet from the Deathlands in the south, north to the Isle of Labyrinth, which they had invaded in the previous campaign, and then all their forces from the Isle of Labyrinth and that fleet were going to continue north and then land at the Highlands in the north and try to invade the Northern Drail via the Highlands. But something got in the way. Because I, I had mentioned that, like, in that vision, Poseidon had shown Ara that he was unable, like, he could try and turn back the tide to drive back this fleet, but it was, like, they had magic, like, they had spellcasters on their side that were, like, counteracting his efforts. There were too many of them. He couldn't sink the fleet, basically. But something stopped the fleet. Sort of. The fleet never got to the north, because what got in their way? Goblins. What do you think got in their way? What's that? Goblins. No, no, no. There are goblins everywhere. Yeah, you know except, except not before? on the Isle of Labyrinth. No, true. True. You know what got in their way? So, so if you're looking at the map, you got your vaguely crescent-shaped drail. You got the lower hook of that crescent. The point of it is like the Deathlands. You got the upper hook of it is the the Highlands. Between that, in, in like the middle of the, in the mouth of the crescent, you got that little dot that's basically the Isle of Labyrinth. Then moving on in, into that mouth along with the Isle of Labyrinth, something a lot bigger. What is it, McGill? I gotta pull up my map, damn it. Where's my map? Well, what what would move into the sort of large body of water between these two pieces of the larger Draelic landmass? What would move there? Yeah. Let me see here. I'm I'm I, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look. There's the crescent. There's the Isle of Labyrinth. But if something was going to drift into that large sort of body of water, is that the it the Isle Arctopus? Of is there you go. The whole continent-sized Arctopus drifted into that body of water and got in the way of the fleet. So the fleet didn't land in the north. They landed on the Arctopus. 
I'm glad. Octopus is in the way. I'm glad that it's finally like really coming into play. Man, uh, nobody ever knows where the octopus is going to show up next. And it showed up in the way of the nightside eclipse. So now the invasion isn't happening in the highlands. It's happening on the octopus. That's why these high elves are here. They're camped out at this chaos stream of mysterious crimson. Is uh, Things are breaking loose. The players, they've come back to war with the nightside eclipse on the octopus. Um, and so these guys are camped at this stream. They've been following, uh, the stream. Um, their queen, Queen Ivy of the royal family of the High Elves has taken, uh, some of her royal aides and has gone out to meet the Nightside Eclipse to combat them, but they found this mysterious stream. And so she and her aides followed the stream and this group is, is now pursuing her. And so um, the players get sort of a brief uh, long rest opportunity uh, while they are here at this mysterious crimson stream before they join these high elves in sort of pursuing uh, the high elf queen who was pursuing the nightside eclipse invaders. And um, while taking this rest opportunity, uh, they decide to check out this uh, mysterious stream and uh, they were told by the High Elves that it had, like, mysterious magical properties. And uh, what better way to try out a mysterious magical stream than uh, just dipping some of your items in it? Well, at, so, least, at least they Jesse, didn't just jump right in, which is what I thought you were going to say. Chessie dipped uh, her rapier. Uh, I think she had a couple rapiers, and she dipped them both in the uh, stream, and one of them got, like, uh, one of them got an effect where any, like, small, like, sort of pebble-sized items that were lying on the ground around her when she wielded this sword would, like, float, like, an inch off the ground. So it was, like, a... It was... It, it 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 had the feel of like a minor anti-gravity item but really it's just like a small cosmetic effect that it picked up um and then she had another one that i think she dipped in and it like turned permanently crimson uh and so she renamed those rapiers to like like crimson death and uh like something something about lightning or something i don't know she should have stuck her hand and, in and gotten her palm red. Ayo. Well, um, so I for I I I didn't uh I I forgot to say that a penalty of Arakendor coming back uh after the time basilisk thing is that Arakendor is currently blind, um, or or rather actually sorry. I forgot, I, I, I'm I realizing now this should have happened last session, and it's I sort of set it up last session, is that Dax, that mysterious goblin who saved them from the time basilisk, basilisk, basilisk situation, um, he said that one of his fees for doing this was that he wanted the eyes of the one who had gazed upon the... who whose gaze had met who had met the gaze of the time basilisk and that was Arakendra. Right. so in exchange for bringing them back he on the spot did a ritual 
and took Arakendor's eyes as payment. And so Arakendor has been blind ever since. Um, and so the reason this is relevant all of a sudden, and I'm re- remembering, is because Arakendor then seeing uh, the effects that this stream had, he tried dunking his head in. Um, but uh, it didn't really it, it didn't really help him. I think it had I think maybe it turned his helmet blue or something. I don't even really quite remember. Um, but uh, whatever the case, there was some fun playing around with a chaos stream, a mysterious chaos stream. And then they get back to business. They got to follow the stream. They follow the stream into an area that is straight out of, um, out of the dark pyramid of sorcerer's isle, uh, module. So after the stream, they follow it into this haunted maze. The Haunted Maze is something straight out of the Dark Pyramid of Sorcerer's Isle module. And the premise is basically it is a maze within the pyramid that they provide a map for at the at the end of the module or whatever. And I'm also wondering now, like, is that... What is the correct use of module? Like at what is, I think I'm using module correctly. Like I think like what, what, what Goblin Inc. Press put out, that's modules, right? Yeah. That, you qualify that in modules? I would call that yeah, a module. So. Okay. So this is, this is the map at the end of the module. Um, so you've got this map that, this square maze that is basically composed of walls some of which are designed to shift and some of which are designed to like um, swing open in a direction so that basically like sometimes passages are closing, sometimes passages are opening, sometimes passages are opening like one way and closing another because the door will swing open in one place and then the door will close that will swing to close another passage. I have a visual aid here that I sent to you in the discord that we'll put in the comparing campaign that like shows what this maze looks like. Um, do you see the visual aid there? Okay. So what's happening in this maze is that once the players enter it, the shifting door closes behind them and they hear like, cackling ghostly laughter and they are in this maze with at least one poltergeist um possibly more i think if you raise the challenge rating it's like two poltergeists and a ghost or something but the idea is that they're they're trapped in this maze and the doors or, or the walls are being shifted around and moved around by the poltergeists and so it's possible for the players to get whacked by these walls as they move. Um, the maze keeps shifting, so it's hard for them to find their way out. Um, and like, so, so basically you're in a haunted maze that like a ghost keeps switching it up on you. And Hate as a premise, that, that is cool. 
it's 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 fun it's it's fun because like the players have to take a little while to figure out what's going on and then like they have to navigate the maze once they've figured out what's going on and try to figure out a solution but my problem with this and probably like the standout problem with the whole module for me is this uh issue i tried to run this map and then i was like hey wait a minute and I was running the this game in person at this point, so like we were all at a dining room table, and it was like, uh, hey guys, um, maybe uh, could you guys all come come over here and look at this? And I showed them this map, and I'm like, is it just me or is this unsolvable? Because there's a point, there's a square in the middle of the map, about that has exit written on it. McGill, how would you get into that square? Uh, okay. Um, so the, I'm trying to see, I guess north is to the right. So the western wall of that exit box is a shifting wall, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, but that just shifts into nothing. Into a wall. It shifts into another enclosed room. Which another door also flips into that wall. So it's also like one of those terrible old like Doom era FPS secret puzzles where like if you open the secret passage, it actually blocks a different secret passage. These are like notorious in like the old first person shooter community as being like the the like biggest standout level design flaws in these levels is like there's a level of but it's, Blake Stone where if you open one secret passage you can't 100% the game anymore. But it's even worse than that because uh, not only do these two sort of secret passages block each other if they're open but there isn't a passage in between them that would let you into the exit room. Exactly! So... And, and I've heck? looked this up and like there's all this stuff online about like, you know, G DM's tips for running Dark Pyramid of Sorcerer's Isle, blah, blah, blah. But I can't find it like I've looked up like Dark Pyramid of Sorcerer Sorcerer's Isle maze unsolvable and like nobody seems to be talking about it. And it's like. This seems to be a fairly popular module. Has nobody noticed that this is not like a uh, I'm wondering if maybe they they updated the map or something like they they put out a new version and I just have an older version of the module or something. I would actually but, um, be willing to bet that most people don't use that box as the exit because there are two entrances to the maze, right? There's one at the yeah. north and one at the south. I'd be willing to bet that most dms just use one of those those portals as the entrance and then the other is the exit because that is solvable if you use it that way yeah anyways uh so my biggest problem with the module right there but uh still in concept and and if you fix that issue um pretty pretty good scenario honestly the haunted maze that keeps cackling at you and pushing walls into you and stuff like that um <clears throat> there's also a, a thing in that maze um 
it says that once you get to the end of the maze, there is a, a corpse that is basically like someone who died lost in the maze and like the ghost in the maze is their ghost. And there is like an extra XP bonus for taking that body and uh, leaving the maze with them. But the issue with that is that um, so this encounter is a maze, but then the larger like they keep describing the overall interior of the pyramid of sorcerer's isle as a maze so it's like this is a maze within a maze technically and when they keep saying take the corpse out of the maze it is extremely unclear whether they mean take the corpse out of the maze with the ghost in it or take the corpse out of the pyramid entirely um I decided to just have them take the corpse out of the maze with the ghost in it because I wasn't going to have them drag a corpse around for an entire session. Oh, maybe you that, should that's have. what was intended. I don't know. You should have gone all Hellboy, right? Where he he unearths that torso to to guide him to the entrance See, to the secret lair. Like it's it is possible that that is their intention. Um but Dang it, man! Stop using the word "maze" for every damn thing. <laughs> that's 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 my that's my feedback on that. But they get the corpse out of the maze, and they uh, sort of grant it the peace of escaping the maze in death, free that ghost. Um, but then on the other side of the maze, when they get out of it, there is uh, they find themselves in a sort of hallway which uh is actually patrolled by nightside eclipse forces in the form of a number of crawling claws those little skittering undead nice. hands and two minotaur skeletons so we're starting to see the return of some of those uh isle of labyrinth enemies in the form of the minotaur skeletons but also among these crawling claws, this is another little thing included from the module, is one of the crawling claws is in a gauntlet, meaning that it's a crawling claw with a higher AC than usual. It's an armored crawling claw. <laughs> um, after that, there is a neat little uh, trap room, which is basically like a room. It's a sort of hallway that is split into two halves by a... Um, by like a blade trap with the idea kind of being like as you pass through the hall it's going to dice you for the things that are on the other side of the hall so basically you're in one end of the hall and four ghouls show up and these ghouls you're going to be fighting these ghouls and these ghouls are going to try and push you and chase you in the other end of the hall but then midway through the hall there's these like jagged bloody rusty so there's this area that's all bloody in the middle of the hall that you can see, and it's like, oh, I don't like the look of that. And then uh, these jagged, bloody, rusty, like, razor blades come out of the ground, like big old razor blades shoot out of the ground. And then on the other side of the hall, these ochre jelly jellies slowly sludge their way on through, like, uh... slurp, 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 to eat up whatever gets, like, ripped up by the razors. Um, so the players go through that hallway, continue into another, uh, 
they they actually they find leading from that hallway there is a big old uh just like a hole in the wall that leads into another big tunnel and following into that tunnel they realize that it is in fact uh has been tunneled by a nightside eclipse tunneling party which is uh composed of a number of rebel imps led by a a dragonborn thug that had been sprung from hell and they are using a purple worm to tunnel their way through the uh the the earth here and so the players come in and do battle with these nightside eclipse allied uh you know rebel hell types but then there's also a purple worm that they're using to tunnel through the ground um they continue they continue through the tunnel until they come to the entrance to an old mysterious tomb that has all these weird uh sigils all over the entrance and they come inside and they find that the nightside eclipse have a little uh little outpost uh where they've got some more of their uh recruits from hell so they've got a dragonborn mage a tiefling scout four imps and they've also got a bone naga cool like a bone snake monster bone Um, snake person and then uh continuing through the tomb they continue through another one of these weird sort of sigil tomb doors and this leads you into a classic again all, all of this stuff is is basically just like my version of stuff from the uh, Dark Pyramid of Sorcerer's Isle. But what does Dark Pyramid of Sorcerer's Isle have but a classic, a checker a checker floor trap room. You ever do one of these? Uh, I probably have at some point, but this is one of those ones where, like, some of the tiles are panels that activate traps and some aren't, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, in... in you got them in like Baldur's Gate and stuff yeah. and Baldur's Gate 2 and Pillars of Eternity and stuff. You got the there's one where it's like you all the squares have letters on them, but you got to walk the path that spells out the name of the evil wizard. But Jehovah is spelled with an zapped. I in the Latin alphabet. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> this one is a checkered floor trap room classic. Uh, white tiles are shock you with lightning, white lightning. Uh, and also, um, I think one of the players had actually grabbed themselves a little jar of the crimson from the stream, uh, which was important to note because anybody who was carrying a sample of the crimson on them, uh, would actually take or have disadvantage to save against the lightning if they stepped on the panel, Uh, as the crimson would conduct the electricity but also around this uh checkered floor room uh there are corpses in that are inhabited by by uh slad poles the little uh infantile versions of the of the slad that are like chest bursters from slad poles i love it so not only do they gotta get across this checkered floor trap room, but they also got to navigate it while watching out for the little chest bursters that could potentially infect them. Um, they continue out of that room uh, into a sort of sloping, more uh, like subterranean looking hall. 
and in this room they have to go up the slope but uh midway up the slope is a gallop one of these little boulder guy monsters and they have an ability to animate boulders into like additional sort of guards and then they and their boulder companions have the ability to turn into rolling boulder traps basically so the players come into this hallway and have to ascend this slope but suddenly there's a little boulder man in the way and he animates two boulders and they all come rolling down the slope at them and they have to have a fight with these <laughs> boulders that have the advantage by rolling into them at the start bowling for adventurers they get up the slope, defeat the Galabdurs, get into a shimmering, like a, a layer of, of crystal that has all these crystal shards and stalactites and stalagmites and all that. And lurking inside is the crystal. The, it's the crystal layer of the Chaos Chimera. Da da da. Crazy ass giant chimera in a crystal lair that they gotta get past. Wow, from a time basilisk to a crystal a crystal chimera. This is pretty cool. And then they uh, go into yet yeah, they go past that crystal lair and further into uh, like some more like uh, cavernous tunnels. But going into the cavernous tunnels, they find another group of elves, and here. They find that they have uh, met up with Queen Ivy and her uh, aides. So there is uh, Queen Ivy, who is the current queen of the High Elves. And uh, for actually some more background there, um, in this Nightside Eclipse invasion that was intended for the North but ended up landing unexpectedly in the Ar Arctopus, that invasion launched against Crystal Guard so suddenly that the idea is that the previous High Elf royal family was actually killed in the initial invasion. And now uh, the princess, who has become Queen Ivy, has basically been forced to like seize the reins of power immediately. And she is sort of like leading her people in a counterattack against the Night's Side Eclipse in like a berserker rage. So she is leading this like assault against the Night's Side Eclipse down here. Um, and she is with uh, a, like a contingent of high elf uh, allies. But like this is not perhaps the ideal course of action for their queen to be taking. Um, but a large part of this is that I've talked about in the past how with the High Elves of the Arctopus, their whole society is kind of based around chance and luck and good fortune. And so Queen Ivy is basically taking a stance with her reign from the beginning that it's like you make your own luck. You, 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 fortune is for those who take it. And she's sort of like coloring uh, the tone of her reign with this like initial uh, bold counterattack against the Nightside Eclipse. So she's charging into the uh, enemy forces down in their lair. Um, she is assisted by um, some healers uh, and some some like uh, like knights of Crystal Guard. There's a there's a thing. Basically, she is when they find Queen Ivy, she is attended by a number of like sort of 
VIP figures in the High Elf Society as far as like um, Knights of Crystal Guard, healers, like like prominent healers. And there's an idea that like all of these people are trying to sort of like vie for her as suitors and sort of impress her in the field of battle um, as well as protect her. Uh, also, they discover them fighting alongside some elves who are not traditional high elves. These are some more mysterious um, elves that are wearing distinctive armor and more importantly have this very distinctive um, weapon that they all carry, which is a maul that has a sort of like eight-pointed chaos star on like engraved on either side. Neat. And it's explained that these guys are chaos elves. And uh, they are native not to... They're not native to the to the octopus. Like when they when the players meet this group of elves, they find Queen Ivy and these sort of like uh, royal attendants that she has. But then there's this group of other elves that all have these weird uh, malls, and these elves explain that they are guardians of the Crimson Chambers, which are uh, what lies ahead. What the what Queen Ivy has been following the stream towards and what the players have been sort of following all of this action towards this entire time is this uh, old prison uh, that these elves guard where they say that um, like old enemies, old members of the Nightside Eclipse, like old enemies of the Empok have been imprisoned in this place called the Crimson Chambers, and they are the guardians of that place. And when they get there, when the players arrive, the elves are there um, basically about to do battle with the Nightside Eclipse, who are led by the necromancer that Carmen had sprung from hell that they've been chasing this entire time. So this is one of their like VIP targets that they've been pursuing the entire time. And he is accompanied by a group of Autumn Leaves and Nightside Eclipse minions. And they are apparently, like, when the players arrive, the Guardians basically say that the Crimson Chambers are being breached by these Nightside Eclipse. And they are trying to drive the Nightside Eclipse out. And the High Elves have just sort of, like, happened to stumble into this scenario by following... uh the Crimson Stream from like their battle situation against the Night Side Eclipse. So basically, there's the Crimson Chambers, which the Chaos Elves guard, which are sort of an extra planar location. The players have come there through the Far Realms. The Night Side Eclipse has come there through the Far Realms portal, but also the Night Side Eclipse is like launching their assault on the Arctopus. So it's sort of like the Necromancer and his troops went through the portal and continued to the Crimson Chamber and then called in reinforcements from Drail from the Arctopus. But then in that sort of planar, extra planar crossover from Drail, those Nightside Eclipse were pursued by the High Elves that were fighting them in the Arctopus. 
And that's how Queen Ivy and those elves showed up. So everybody's ended up in this auspicious extraplanar prison. The players defeat the, the, the necromancer in the nightside eclipse. They manage to bring victory to the, to the high elves and the chaos elves. They decide to venture further into the crimson chambers um, to, to secure it. They run into uh, a, they they end up in a stairwell with a number of automated defenses, so like um, helmed horrors and flying swords, like just animate uh, animated, you know, uh, security measures. And then they proceed into the crimson chambers proper, and they find that the place has been like totally it's in total disarray. Um. The place has been uh, invaded by those slod things that we've talked about a bunch before on the show. Um, <coughs> so the players need slod to... poles. Yep, and there are also still some slod poles crawling crawling around in this uh, <laughs> messed up crimson chamber. So there's these like these sort of tanks, these like uh, suspended animation tanks that are supposed to be full of crimson, but they've all been smashed. And there's these big slad aliens and these slithering little chest bursters slithering around in the in the pools of crimson. Uh, there's ten cells; they've all been broken. There's double layered glass, but it's been smashed. There's inert crimson pools and puddles on the floor. So this is an important thing to note: is like the players they they had this sort of um, question: is like, is this crimson? volatile like the crimson that was in the stream we saw before but it's explained to them that like the crimson that's pooling in the floor here is inert whereas the crimson in the stream was like active basically um but there is crimson uh pumping through pipes in the ceiling above them they realize and uh basically they they come into this crimson chamber area that's been all smashed and there's just like a few chaos elves left who are like holding their ground against this incursion of like slad. And what's basically happened here is like the slad are just what's happening here is basically like a planar chaos outbreak. And so it's not really the the slad are just a coincidence. Like the nightside eclipse are trying to break into the crimson chambers because that is a place where we're learning that like old nightside eclipse uh, like enemies have been imprisoned in these tanks of crimson but the slad being here are just like you know reality is kind of breaking down around the crimson chambers and you know everybody's suddenly getting in the nightside eclipse is getting in but also you know they're getting in from the far realms they're getting in from like a weird planar overlap from the arctopus and so the slad are just like inherently sort of chaos creatures and they've sort of come here as like a, a side effect of this like breakdown in reality and so they're just running amok in the uh, crimson chambers uh once the players have the place secured along with queen ivy in them and and the chaos elves they they sort of mend all the like fissures that are in the equipment and stuff so the the crimson isn't leaking out of the chambers or, or any of the machinery and then finally, they come into this like final vault area where there is one intact chamber 
guarded by two chaos elves and they're like nobody's gotten to this one yet and uh the players uh, approach this vat and it's like that it's like that independence day moment where like suddenly the hand comes up to the vault to, to the to the to the side of the vat to the glass and it's like a voice is coming out at them and uh they find out that this is the chamber of nadia the crimson queen which I mentioned that Nadia would come back. So suddenly they are uh, come into contact with this powerful vampire queen. And uh, Man, this is intense. Chessie talks to her a bit. Yeah, Chessie talks to her a bit. Basically, um, Nadia, uh, this vampire queen, who's the chaos elves have explained have been has been held in this crimson chamber for like decades and decades you know sort of for ages and ages at some point in the past the empoch had a policy where powerful nightside eclipse yeah like i'm i'll just sort of explain how this works in the from the dm's perspective because like i'm not sure how much the players got explained to them right away but over time like they got all this like sort of filled out for them so the crimson chambers used to be a sort of extra planar prison that the Empoch used for Nightside Eclipse leaders because the system of the Nightside Eclipse works such that if you take out one of the vampires or liches at the higher levels, that vampire or lich is inevitably just going to replace. Even if you can like truly destroy that high-level undead, the Nightside Eclipse system is just going to take another undead from within it and upgrade them to that level, and they're going to be the new leader. So as a solution, Odium and the Empok in times past, like way back historically, uh, they had introduced the Crimson Chambers as a way of sort of capturing high-level Nightside Eclipse and keeping them in suspended animation um, so that the Nightside Eclipse system would not replace them uh, and it would like serve as a more tangible win against the sort of innumerable masses of the Nightside Eclipse. It's the constant sort of problem of the Nightside Eclipse is like, you know, if you wage war against them, there's just going to be more and more dead, which is going to turn to more and more undead uh, for the Nightside Eclipse to use. And then if you try to wipe out the undead, there's just they're just going to make more, basically. So the players discover this queen, and she is like the only cell that is still intact here in this Crimson Chambers. And she tries to convince Chessie to let her free. Um, but the fact is, like, she's just being way too effing ominous. It's the sort of thing, it's like, oh, uh, like, if you let me free, no harm will come to you by my hand or something. And they're like, yeah, that's not good enough. And uh, so they did not let Nadia free, although <laughs> Chessie did, uh, you know, converse with her, which was... Yeah, it certainly had some of the party on edge a bit. And uh, then having 
you know, they basically get to the Crimson Chambers and defeat these Slad and the Nightside Cliffs just in time to keep Nadia secured. But that's where it ends, basically. They get to the Crimson Chambers and all of the pods have been destroyed except for Nadia's, the Crimson Queen's. They refuse to let her out. They have uh, made contact with Queen Ivy of the Arctopus, and so they agree to go with the High Elves back to Crystal Guard, having uh, secured this victory against the Nightside Eclipse. And then once they get back to Crystal Guard, they'll be able to uh, re-coordinate with the Empok and get back, back fixed in their own plane. And now... Um, Man, I've been going for a while now. I was going to say, this is a big one. It is a big one. There was a lot of stuff. But you know, okay, the uh, the other thing I'm just going to say is that I'd be remiss if I did not explain. First of all, so I named Nadia the Crimson Queen after uh, the artist that the, um, you know, uh, that that did the track uh the the second half of the split that dick this is operation closed curve closed curve was the second track on the split between atavist and nadia that inspired this act that's what i'm trying to say got it you know but also this whole thing about crimson pods and everything this is inspired by a classic death metal concept concept album by the band edge of sanity called crimson and in reality, I have been building to this ever since the beginning of this campaign. <laughs> because you may remember that back in their first mission for Al as Al's aces, they were sent to look into a mysterious can of crimson fluid. That's and that right. turned out to be nothing. But man, what here it is. It's the crimson, man. It's what it's what it's been all about this whole time. But I'll tell you what this concept album uh, by Edge of Sanity is because it's got convenient narrative section in the Wikipedia page. It says here, The album's single song tells the story of a world where humans no longer can bear children. Into this time of despair, a child is born to the king and queen of the barren earth. The queen dies during childbirth and the king is left to rule the earth and raise his daughter on his own. The people think the child is a sign that God will give them back the ability to reproduce, but as the child grows into a teenager, humanity remains infertile. In time, the king dies and the, there is a civil war over his throne. The new king crushes rebellions against his illegitimate rule and is generally hated by the, po and is generally hated by the populace. Eventually, the child is persuaded to lead a coup. As she, is left, as she is left alone to plan, the forces of evil beckon to her. She accepts an unholy master and gains strong magical powers. She slays the false king easily and begins ruling the earth. The people watch her obsessively because it was thought that by restoring the rightful ruler, they might be returned the gift of re reproduction. However, the new queen misleads the people and slays the elders who the humans had preserved for their wisdom. Uh, they were preserved in crimson uh, pods. Uh, word of this gets out, and a group of rebels gathers to stop her. They find a way to neutralize her power by blinding her, and then place her in the same preservative tank of crimson fluid that the elders were kept in. And uh, there's even a cool uh, 
cover art picture, which is what I used as the uh, scene with uh, Nadia, because it's a picture of a like a an outline of a lady in a crimson pod. Nice. Right, so it is. Metal. It's all very metal. Although I feel like I hmm, I'm wondering at some point in the campaign, I remember the player who played Chessy being like, "Man, this is just like uh, Final Fantasy VII. This is just like uh, uh, what is it called? The weird project. They got a project in a mountain. Final Fantasy VII project." Um, Genova Project, that's it. Uh, yeah, he, he was like, hey, this is just like the Genova Project stuff in Final Fantasy VII, whatever, and I was like, I don't know nothing about that. And I didn't know nothing about that. I, I didn't I didn't base any of this on Final Fantasy. And maybe I'm not even thinking of the right <laughs> part. Maybe he was thinking of a different part when he said that. Oh, well. So that went pretty long. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you... What do you think about uh, heading to the tavern? And I'll start with my adventure on our next episode. All right. Damn. I got a whole one one adventure episode. Damn. All right. Hey, that was a big one. And uh, it sounds like your tavern pick ties into it. So might as well take care of it now. I don't even know if it's necessary to do the tavern pick anymore because... I mean, I covered most of the important stuff. You basically covered it. it. Yeah, pretty much. The difference is that, uh, well, okay, okay, let's say that this is my tavern pick. It's Dark Pyramid of Sorcerer's Isle. Um, the primary difference is that any time that I said Nightside Eclipse or Hell Recruits, uh, replace that with uh, Dragon Cultists and their Mercenaries. Uh-huh. Um, specifically, actually, in... So, uh, it's a bit of a detour from the dragon cult plot, actually, because the the dark period of Sorcerer's Isle is of interest to the Red Wizards of Thay, who are another recurring villain in, uh, you know, Forgotten Realms. They're basically, like, uh, evil wizards led by a, a lich king, um... But, uh, yeah, uh, long unoccupied, the pyramid on Sorcerer's Isle now flows with strange magical energy, warping creatures in the landscape around it. The cult of the dragon, the cult of the dragon and the red wizards of Thay have taken notice and it's up to you to keep whatever power dwells there out of their hands. And so a lot of the sort of far realms, like weirdness, uh, like, so first of all, the upside down stream and the boars and stuff on the cliff, that is all just, I've mentioned before that these early Adventures League modules have just like way too much wilderness travel. It's like, so there's this whole section before you even get to the good part of the module where it's like, first, how do the players get to the cool pyramid? Do they do go by boat? Oh, then they get attacked by octopi and, and piranhas and 
do they go by land? Well, then they get attacked by death dogs and horned boars. And it's like, I just spice that up. I, although it does give an opportunity, like it tries to, it explains that like, you're supposed to show that the magic of the pyramid is leaking out by having the animals be kind of mutated. So ah. that's like, that's why the boars are horned and the dogs have two heads and the octopi have like extra tentacles and stuff. Um, but then a lot of the sort of like chaos elements and far realms elements and the, the crimson stream and everything that I had introduced uh, exists in the module as like just sort of like wild magic. Um, similarly, like it's a lot of going through um, <clears throat> similar to like the way I had it sort of this wild far realms wandering adventure. Uh, the pyramid is supposed to be like magically unmappable like it's supposed to be always shifting so the player there's no actual way to map out the interior of the pyramid it's just like you go from one encounter to another and if players try to map things out then you explain that like things end up not matching what they mapped out um but yeah a lot of the things like uh different nightside eclipse and hell recruit encounters that would be encounters that you see happen with red wizard or nightside eclipse uh members or or not nightside eclipse or cult of the dragon uh minions or their mercenaries um and uh yeah you've got the haunted maze you've got crawling claw and a gauntlet you've got that trapped hallway with the ochre jellies um, you've got the lightning uh, floor. The slad are a result of the wild magic as well, um, and the idea that like the lab in the at the top of of uh, the pyramid on Sorcerer's Isle has like gone wild and is is just like sort of spilling wild magic everywhere. And uh, yeah, uh, otherwise it's uh, pretty much what i said but replace the nightside eclipse and the hell recruits with red wizards and uh night and uh dragon cultists and mercenaries and uh, replace all the far realms and crimson stuff with just like wild magic it's really cool i know we just like went through it in detail but after this i'm definitely going to look it up and like read it see it all laid out in text hell yeah so what did you bring? Uh, I brought some GURPS. So, um, confession time, Tom. You know, GURPS, Steve Jackson games, uh, generic universal role-playing system. Never actually played GURPS. Have you played GURPS? I have some memory of, like, there's, um, there's a very neat, like, GURPS basic mode that is like a version of the GURPS rules that is made to fit on a single piece of paper folded four ways. Nice. Um, so that you can just like walk around with a GURPS system in your pocket. And that idea kind of tickled me. So um, I remember, I seem to remember trying out that system maybe once, but overall not don't don't have a a lot of uh knowledge of it so i've i've really never played any gurps uh i was always sort of aware of it because i would go in my youth to 
our local RPG shop, Fandom 2, uh, which I think is still there. I don't know if it has suffered because of the pandemic, but uh, they always had like... Oh, I, I will say um, one thing is uh, I've mentioned Bunnies and Burrows yeah. before. Uh, that was eventually adopted into uh, GURPS. Okay. Well, when I first encountered Bunnies and Burrows, I believe it was as a GURPS uh, system. So I always knew GURPS as this like secondary thing, you know, when I was getting into RPGs and to this day, like the, the, the big RPG, of course, is Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, in my youth, I was a lot more into Palladium games and Rift specifically. And so I was always aware of GURPS as being this other sprawling RPG franchise where, like, there are just hundreds and uh, dozens and dozens, I don't know about hundreds, but dozens for sure of different GURPS books, different GURPS settings. Uh, never played it, but I was always sort of aware of it because it's constantly on the periphery just by virtue of being so prolific. And when I was looking into something fun to bring to the tavern on this episode, I came across an article that someone had written about the rarest items in their RPG collection. And one of the items in it was a GURPS book, a GURPS supplement, that really caught my eye. And it made me go like, wait a minute, they did this in GURPS? And so I started reading more GURPS supplements, like looking into more unusual GURPS supplements. And so for the tavern today, I have brought uh, information on four especially intriguing GURPS supplements that might actually convince me to, um, oh, there's GURPS bunnies and burrows. It looks great. It might actually convince me to like play some GURPS just to play around in these different supplements and, and different campaigns. So first up, GURPS Illuminati. Man. This is a classic. I was unaware of this. Isn't this uh, tied in with the Steve Jackson's uh, Illuminatus uh, card card game? game. Yeah. And I knew about the card game. Hey, I can't believe I knew that. Yeah, I knew about the card game. Have you ever read the book? No, I never have. Uh, Because I think it's all inspired by the Illuminatus book trilogy uh yeah it is and it's, uh, by robert yeah, the Shea, illuminatus here ex- yeah exclamation mark yeah and so uh man this those one... things are those those books are trippy my friend <laughs> you can basically tell from the covers but uh man this one is a book all about about all aspects of running and playing in an rpg involving conspiracies uh here are some of the chapter headings so illuminated groups uh, suggested groups to use in the game that assumes that many or all conspiracy theories are real. Groups given a write-up include the Illuminati, the Merovingian Dynasty, the Alphans, the Time Meddlers, the Network, the Discordian Society, the Society of the Assassins, the Templars, the Bavarian Illuminati, the Gnomes of Zurich, environmental protesters, eco-terrorists, Freemasons, the Society of Light, the Mafia, corporations, organized crime, religion, telephone companies, and unions. There is a chapter called, Why Does Mr. Beamish Have Tinfoil in His Hat? Which is a chapter about being on the outer edge of conspiracies and how they can appear to have more influence and leverage than they actually do. 
There's a whole chapter about the men in black uh, actively joining overarching conspiracies or otherwise being on the inside. There's a chapter called Fnord, which is a chapter about non-fictional secret societies and about adding secret societies and conspiracies to settings that didn't previously have them. This just sounds interesting. This sounds like uh, almost like the game Paranoia. It sounds like you could you could get a lot of mileage out of this. Here's another GURP supplement that I found that really just said Tom Lando to me. GURP's Goblins. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. GURP's Goblins enables players to create and play goblin characters in an alternate world populated by goblins set in Georgian England. The book is divided into chapters that cover all aspects of goblin society in 1830, from laws and punishments to diseases and medicines, four short scenarios also included. Sounds like fun. It's got a great cover. Very goblin-y. I, I'm, 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 I, frankly, I'm surprised that you, you don't like own a copy of this, even if you've never cracked it open. I own a copy of the, go a copy of the Goblin Companion. Do you see these wacky Illuminatus covers I sent you? Yeah, those are those are awesome. Super trippy. They remind me of the the poster to the movie The Visitor. I might, the um I might have to read those. The, the Golden Apple. The uh man, they're they're very like It's funny when I when I was in uh when I was in high school, I was in a writer's craft class and we had like a project. We did our like final projects on like genres and I chose psychedelic literature as my genre. And this was like an extremely important touchstone was the Illuminatus trilogy because it is very like, it, like the whole story is basically stream of consciousness. Oh like, man. <laughs> it's, it's basically like the whole story is told just sort of like wandering from mind to mind, basically. Uh, it says here in the Wikipedia page, like uh, many characters ranging from a squirrel to a New York City detective to an artificial intelligence, as well as through time, past, present and future, and sometimes mid-sentence. <laughs> wow, I might have to uh, might have to read those. Here is a GURPS. Do a big, oh, sorry, go ahead. Do a big project on Illuminatus, the electric Kool-Aid acid test, and uh, God, what was the other one? Oh, well, can't remember. Yeah, that's what happens when you dabble too much in the Illuminatus and the electric Kool-Aid. Yeah, I guess so. Here is another GURPS source book. This one shocked the hell out of me. Um, GURPS Callahan's Crosstime Saloon? Tom, have you ever heard of Callahan's Crosstime Saloon? Uh, it sounds like cowboy stuff, but... Uh... It's not. No. So, I the reason I'm shocked to see this is uh, Callahan's Crosstime Saloon is a series of novels. They're like anthology novels by uh, the writer Spider Robinson. Um, and uh, they're sort of like cozy sci-fi the idea is that there is this bar called callahan saloon and the stories are all just strange unusual events and visitors that turn up at the saloon there's some you know there's one where it's, there's a talking dog time travelers 
vampires, leprechauns, aliens. They made a video game. It, sorry? They made a video game. Did they make a video in game? 1990, in 1997. Holy shit. A graphic adventure game. Here it is. I've got to look into this. But Callahan's Cross Time Saloon, while it is a multi-book series, it's always felt pretty niche to me because... Like, I've never met anyone else who's read them. I've read several of these books. But most of the time when I say it, people are like, Callahan's what? So I was really surprised to see that uh, there's a GURPS source book for an alternate world-themed RPG based in a fictional bar-slash-space nexus created by Spider Robinson. Uh, and it includes new rules, guidelines for psi-blocking powers and intoxication effects. This is super cool, man. I, I really, like, especially when I was like a teenager, I read so many of the Callahan's books. I, th I think I still have a few of them lying around. Um, I, I really like them, and I had no idea that they made an RPG. But here's the one, Tom. Here is the supplement that inspired my deep dive into all the different GURPS books. And it relates to something that we have talked about on the podcast more than once. And it is GURPS... The Prisoner. Mortal Kombat? Oh, okay. <laughs> GURPS The Prisoner. I like that we're keeping a sort of like 60s theme here. We got Illuminatus. We got, uh, I don't know. There's some, there's some very like uh, pulp 60s novel about all this. Yeah, I, I think Callahan's was more like more like 70s and 80s. But yeah, very much in keeping with that, yeah, that vibe. All of, all of these things I mentioned probably are. But... Well, English pubs, I guess. English pubs and, uh, and conspiracies. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there, if there yeah, was a Callahan's, book, is, uh... a Callahan's book with an Illuminati in it. Yeah, I don't know. It's also like it also gives me a real like Hitchhiker's Guide paperback. Vibe. Yeah, very much. You know so. what I'm trying to say? Yeah, very very pulp novelly and uh, tongue in cheek. I will say Callahan's Cross Time Saloon ne is next. Next you're gonna be pulp guide. Ne next you're gonna be pulling up a uh, GURP supplement from the mind of Harlan Ellison. <laughs> uh, well. I uh, no, I was about to I was about to loop back on it, but uh, no, I was wrong. Uh, I was gonna say uh, S Spider Robinson, who wrote Callahan's Cross Time Saloon, he did wind up writing a book based on notes, but it wasn't by Harlan Ellison; it was by Robert Heinlein. So my my brain mm -hmm. my brain like skipped a groove on my mental record. Um, but yeah, GURPS the Prisoner, a supplement published in 1990 based on the 60s TV series The Prisoner, uh, using the setting of The Village from the British TV series. Like the TV series, the player characters wake up in the village, they are unable to leave, punished for infractions of multitudinous rules, uh, and unable to find out where they are or why they are there. The book is divided into two sections. The setting is laid out in the first section and includes a map of the village, as well as village protocols such as dress and appropriate greetings. The second section provides hints to the game master about how to develop suspense, how to answer players' questions, and how to pepper the adventure with weird encounters. And it includes a scenario called Arrival, which of course is also the title of the first episode of the Prisoner TV series. Um, yeah. Not a lot of info 
just like in in basic summary that I could find online, but I fully intend to like track down a PDF of this thing because it's out of print now. Um, I did, however, find a review from issue 190 of Dragon Magazine where the reviewer said that uh, it's written by a guy named David Ladyman. Ladyman manages to ferret out the best concepts, sweep away the debris, and patch it all together with his own imaginative touches. The prisoner won't be everybody's idea of a good time, what with its near-powerless player characters, absence of action, and unsolvable mysteries. On occasion, Ladyman's writing becomes aggravatingly vague, as if he's not quite sure what's going on either. But the reviewer concluded by giving the book four out of five stars, saying it provides all the raw material to cre a creative referee needs to put together a campaign rife with psychological terror. So, it of course I was I, I was remembering Bloodshot Panopticon and its connections to the prisoner, and I was kind of delighted to see that there is a supplement to play in the world of the prisoner as well. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want something that is like the official prisoner role-playing thing. I'd rather make it up my own, but, uh, your cat's making a lot of noise. Meow. Yeah. It, that's coming through. Is it's it pretty funny? Jeez. It's pretty funny. Nah, it's quiet, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. He, he wants some attention. So that, there's Do we have a, anything else? Nah, the those were the maybe I'll come back at a different date, a different tavern with more GURPS books, but uh those were the four that really caught my eye and I thought, you know, cool. GURPS Callahan's Crosstime Saloon, GURPS uh The Prisoner. <laughs> Pretty fascinating stuff. Maybe I should give GURPS a shot after all. Maybe we should run a crossover where the prisoner, where Callahan, Callahan's Crosstown Saloon is in the village, and then there's Brunnies and Bros. I don't know. I like that idea, actually. Callahan's Crosstown Saloon being in the prisoner would, would fit really well, in fact. Ooh, with goblins. With goblins. Man, is that is that part the of Illuminati. the design here? Is that the idea behind GURPS? Can you just mash all these things together like you're crashing cars in a demolition derby? I'd be into that. I I mean that I mean that's the way it worked with the White Wolf games at least like within the World of Darkness. And I would say that like the description of Callahan's Crosstown Saloon listed like side blocking powers and stuff as like new rules on top of the existing ones. So presumably all it does mechanically is like add the new rules that you just add to the rules you've already got. Then you add your prisoner rules to that. And then you've got a mashup. Man, look at some of these. I'm looking at a big list now of all the GURPS books. And we've got GURPS Conan, GURPS Discworld, uh, GURPS Witch World, GURPS Y2K, detailing some possible scenarios involving the Y2K problem. <laughs> There's something about it, though. There's something about a lot of these that is like it's the same thing I was saying about like why I wouldn't want a prisoner, like an official the prisoner RPG. There's something weirdly like 
it, it, it's like this it, it's like that whole like british in-house mentality like all of this feels like steve jackson just had like a deal with like a british publishing house or something and like like it, it's it's that thing of like i don't know what uh like 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 doing the do, doing the official callahan's crosstown illuminatus uh Discworld, all of these things are like they feel like they're more of the creator uh, like like they're more of an author's work than they are of a, a role-playing world do you know what i mean you know what this feels like is it feels like uh you know back in the like nes through to snes era of video games how that company LJN would just make a video game of every property. Like you'd get a Beetlejuice video game and you'd get a Friday the 13th. And they weren't ever necessarily related to the franchises. Even they were just like the mandatory video game spinoff. It kind of feels like GURPS is doing the same thing here where it's like any property yeah, you can imagine, just... we're going to do a supplement for it. There's just something about it. That's very like, in the club to me like like the way that you get with sort of like like uh like it's it's very yeah like like it all feels like it's kind of like hey this is the product for you if you're in on this british fandom oh my god tom uh here i want to get your opinion on these i didn't know are you about to show me the the gurps doctor who (laughs) like no no uh i i'm scrolling down the list and i want to get your thoughts immediate reaction to what about gurps vampire the masquerade (laughs) okay well that's just uh gurps mage the ascension gurps werewolf the apocalypse these are just licensed crossovers they're they're conversion books, so you can convert your characters from those White Wolf games to GURPS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You're like, no, no, not doing it. Not doing it for me. Well, like, I, 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 I'm not just not, I guess if you were that into GURPS, that'd be good. Is anyone I'm, that I'm not, into so. GURPS? There's so much GURPS, but have you ever, I've never even met anyone who's played GURPS. Is anyone that into Palladium? Yes. Is anyone that into White Wolf? Yes. <laughs> I've met well, other I people. I guess the answer is probably yes. The thing is, though, I've met other people who play Palladium games and and people who who swear by White Wolf games. I've never met anyone who plays GURPS. Maybe, uh, maybe if you lived in Britain, you would. Maybe. I guess it could be very British. I've certainly like played other Steve Jackson games. I've played Munchkin. Mm, that's true. And people like that cyberpunk. People like to play that new cyberpunk. I don't oh, know is if cyberpunk that's even Steve Jackson. Steve Jackson anymore. It was, but I I think, but I don't. Um, uh, actually, let me check now. No, nah, it doesn't look that. like it is. However, Tom, there is a GURPS cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the steve jackson uh, rpgs are gurps gurps traveler in nominee killer the game of assassination the munchkin rpg 
Toon, which we've talked about. I have the source book for it. Transhuman Space. And one called Tribes, where players play as cavemen. Well, I'm, I'm, remember, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Right, that whole primal idea. Yeah, I, w- I was way off about the cyberpunk. I don't, I don't know. Well, there. I, I thought they did have some sort of cyberpunk thing. There is group cyberpunk. Hmm. Maybe that's why I was thinking of. Anyways, too much gurps, not enough burps. Uh, this was episode sixty-two, mainly Operation Clove Cur- Closed Curve. It feels like uh, on May twenty-six, twenty twenty-one. Uh. We got anything else? Nah, man. But next time. Next time. I'm sick of all these GURPS. I'm sick of all these GURPS. But, uh, okay, well, uh, if you want to get in touch with us or follow us and uh, see when I post new episodes, check us out on Facebook, Comparing Comparing Campaign on Facebook. I'm not doing too good at talking today. I had a lot of trouble saying Basilisk. Um, If you want to... Check out our supplemental materials, our visual aids, show notes, links to things, all these pictures we got for this one. We got all sorts of notes for this episode. Um, Check us out on comparingcampaign.wordpress.com. And until next time, be seeing you. Get that GURPS.